Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 12th August 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, what Amgen's $3.7 billion acquisition of Chemocentrics means, Lilly's CEO on US drug pricing legislation, Pfizer's GBT deal, new data for Amgen's KRAS inhibitor combo, and a major China ADC alliance for Sanofi. Several hours before its second quarter earnings call, Amgen announced it had agreed to buy Chemocentrics for $52 per share or $3.7 billion in cash. The acquisition is important for Amgen as it looks for new sources of growth and although the company had a good Q2, it helped draw attention from recent R&D setbacks, a maturing portfolio and a potential tax overhang. Mandy Daxon writes the Chemocentrics acquisition was welcome news given declining sales for Amgen's current off-patent blockbusters like New Lasta and Aronesp, and because of additional losses of exclusivity later in the decade for growing brands such as Otesla and Prolia. Amgen's Q2 revenue totaled $6.59 billion, up 1% from the same period in 2021, with new launches Lumacras for KRAS G12C mutated lung cancer and Asthma Biologic, Tespire, performing well quarter over quarter. But with some programmes shuffling out of its R&D pipeline, Amgen is making a big investment to bring in Tavnios and a trio of early-stage drug candidates with the Chemocentrics transaction. The main attraction for Amgen is Tavnios, which was approved by the US FDA last October for anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibody-associated vasculitis. It has also been approved for AAV in the EU and Japan. The drug, which blocks the complement 5A receptor, generated $5.4 million in sales in Q1, its first full quarter on the market. Executive Vice President, Global Commercial Operations, Murdo Gordon, explained to the call that Amgen can scale the commercial effort for the drug and noted Amgen also has resources like its patient support programs, medical teams, institutional key account managers and relationships with payers to ensure that medical policies and prior authorizations are seamless for providers and patients accessing Tavnios. Tavnios represents a pipeline in appeal opportunity in two areas where Amgen already has established expertise, inflammatory diseases and nephrology. Eli Lilly is bullish on the launch metrics for its GIP GLP-1 agonist Munjaro in type 2 diabetes, which is the first of five new products it hopes to launch before the end of 2023, including the Alzheimer's disease candidate Donanimab. But while impressed by Munjaro's quick start, analysts had trouble getting past Lilly's quarterly sales decline of 4%, which the company attributed mainly to pricing pressures in the US and elsewhere, along with currency impact. Joseph Haas writes that CEO David Ricks also stepped up again on the soapbox during the Q2 earnings call on 4th August to criticise the drug pricing legislation currently being discussed in the US Congress. Echoing comments of AbV CEO Rick Gonzalez and others, Ricks said he favours provisions that would directly limit patients' out-of-pocket costs, but has concerns about a proposal to allow Medicare to negotiate prices for the Part D prescription drug benefit. 
Lilly supports capping annual out-of-pocket costs for patients, the CEO said, but added the price negotiation piece is a problem. I think in the short term, speaking for our company, but probably the industry, it doesn't do much, Ricks continued. The negotiations don't really start until 2026 anyway. In the midterm, there will be, of course, some products that will have attenuated life cycles. And I think that will cause some headwinds for the industry, and we'll see if any Lilly products get caught up in that. The exec also reiterated his and others' previous stance that an unintended consequence of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services negotiating product prices with drug makers could be a perception of reduced return on investment for drug R&D. As he had at the Pharmaceutical Researchers and Manufacturers of America event on 27th July, Ricks warned that cancer therapies are often developed for later lines of treatment first, and since those smaller markets might be worth a lot less, it could put innovation at risk, especially for small molecules for oncology. For sympathy, Ricks could have just pointed to his company's confounding results during the second quarter, in which sales volume rose but revenue decreased due to discounting and rebates in the US, as well as price pressures in Europe, Japan and China. The firm has exposure in several categories with significant pricing pressure, which has been a factor in previous quarters as well. Lilly's quarterly revenue total of $4.89 billion was down 4% from Q2 2021, despite strong growth from newer products such as Trulisti and Vuzenio. Chief Financial Officer Anat Ashkenazi said, For the full year, we continue to expect mid-single-digit net price decline in each of the US, EU and Japan, and a double-digit price decline in China, resulting in a worldwide net price decline in the high single digits. Pfizer is continuing to execute on a business development strategy centred on bringing in marketed drugs or late-stage pipeline opportunities with its latest acquisition, the sickle cell disease specialist Global Blood Therapeutics, or GBT, for $5.4 billion, or 68.50 per share. Pfizer said the acquisition will expand its heritage in the area of rare haematology, though it marks its first foray into the sickle cell disease commercial market, Jessica Merrill writes. The company has tried previously but unsuccessfully to bring drugs to market for SCD, but does have one pipeline programme, an e-selecting antagonist in Phase 1. The transaction brings Pfizer the marketed drug Oxbriter for SCD, as well as two clinical stage drugs for the painful and debilitating blood disorder. Pfizer said it believes Oxbriter and the two pipeline drugs, GBT-601 and Inclaclumab, together could generate peak sales of $3 billion. Oxbriter was approved by the US FDA in November 2019, inhaled at the time as the first drug to address the underlying cause of SCD by inhibiting sickle haemoglobin polymerization. Oxbriter has grown substantially in 2022, with the product generating $126.7 million in the first half of the year, 46% growth over the first six months of 2021. The FDA expanded the use of Oxbriter to children four years of age and older in December 2021, which has contributed to the growth. Pfizer said it plans to accelerate distribution of Oxbriter to the parts of the world that are most impacted by SCD, and the drug was already approved in the EU earlier this year.
GBTs to clinical stage pipeline drugs include GBT-601, which is an oral, once-daily, next-generation sickle hemoglobin polymerization inhibitor, which is now in phase 2-3 development. The other is Inclacumab, which is a monoclonal antibody targeting P-selectin, which is being studied in two phase 3 trials as a potential quarterly treatment to reduce the frequency of vaso-occlusive crisis and reduce hospitalisation readmission rates due to VOCs. Analysts generally viewed the acquisition as a solid step toward Pfizer's goal of bringing in new drugs that could help offset loss of exclusivities later in this decade. Amgen is exploring the combination of a lower dose of its KRAS G12C inhibitor Lumacras with Merkinco's Keytruda in first-line non-small cell lung cancer after data from a phase 1 safety study showed high levels of liver toxicity for the two-drug combination. The question is whether the combination will ultimately show an acceptable safety-efficacy profile or whether it might open the door for competitor Mirati Therapeutics KRAS G12C inhibitor Adagrasib. Larit Diamond writes the company announced the data from the Phase 1b Code Break 100 and 101 studies combining Lumacras with either Keytruda or Roche's PDL1 inhibitor Ticentric on 7th August at the World Conference on Lung Cancer. Exploring the drug in combination with other therapies is key to Amgen's strategy for Lumacras, and the PD1L1 pairing was hotly anticipated although combining targeted therapy and immunotherapy has generally been seen as challenging. The objective response rate across 58 patients in all dosing cohorts was 29%. The median duration of response for responders was 17.9 months. Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre oncologist Bob Lee told an 8th August call with analysts that efficacy data may have been dampened due to treatment discontinuations. But analysts approached the results with scepticism, while also saying the data, which Jeffrey's analyst Michael Yee called lacklustre at best in a 7th August note, was expected. Guggenheim Securities analyst Michael Schmidt said in a 7th August note that the future of the combination remains highly uncertain, citing liver toxicity and the discontinuations. Finally, as the global competition in antibody drug conjugates intensifies, one global pharma giant is looking to break into the Chinese market for these and other oncology products through a major new partnership. Sanofi announced on 4th August a strategic alliance with China's Innovent Biologics to jointly develop in the country two oncology ADC assets in combination with Innovent's marketed anti-PD-1 antibody, Sintilimab. Brian Yang writes that one is tusamitamab ravtansin, comprising an antibody targeting CCAM5 with a metansinoid derivative payload, and the other is SAR444245, a recombinant non-alpha interleukin-2 variant. Tusamitamab is in a global phase 3 program for second-line non-small cell lung cancer, which includes sites in China, and in Phase 2 for first-line NSCLC, gastric cancers and other solid malignancies. SAR444245 is in global Phase 2 studies for skin and gastrointestinal cancer, NSCLC and mesothelioma, head and neck tumours and lymphoma.
Under the agreement, InEvent will develop and exclusively commercialise tusimitimab in multiple oncology indications in China, in return paying Sanofi up to 80 million euros in development milestones plus sales royalties. The Chinese firm will lead the clinical development of SAR444245 in China, where Sanofi will have full commercialization responsibility and the French company will pay up to 60 million euros in development milestones plus royalties. For both assets, Sanofi will be the sole holder of marketing authorizations in China and it has further agreed to invest 300 million euros in new common shares issued by Hong Kong listed InEvent. Through the new tie-up, it seems clear Sanofi is looking to leverage the Suzhou-based firm's commercial track record and presence to gain a foothold in China's increasingly competitive ADC and oncology market. While InEvent was not the first Chinese drug maker to launch a PD-1 antibody, it has emerged as a leading player, helped by Sintilimab's inclusion in the national reimbursement drug list in the late 2020 negotiation round. One question is whether the latest partnership with Sanofi may impact InEvent's long-running tie-up with Lilly for Sintilimab and other oncology medicines, which was further expanded earlier this year. InEvent CEO Michael Yu noted in a 5th August investor call, the new alliance is more of a long-term tie-up that will accelerate development and access to the two assets in China. Yu had noted back in August 2020 that the partnership with Lilly for Sintilimab is structured such that the US firm oversees the PD-1's global development outside China, while InEvent is free and clean to explore otherwise and has the flexibility to do combo studies, something that the new Sanofi alliance appears to be taking advantage of. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. All these articles in full are linked in the story accompanying this podcast and are just a fraction of those published in Scrip last week. Log in to the site, or if you're not already a subscriber, take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.